the scripture is from Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Have you ever tried to uh, convince somebody of the goodness of something? Have you noticed that sometimes we need to be convinced of the goodness of things? Things that are obviously good, and yet I'm still not sure if I really want to uh, receive the thing that someone's claiming to be good, and I kind of need to be convinced. That's the attitude of the writer of Hebrews, or the problem, I should say, of the writer of Hebrews in that passage we just read. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, he says, we have access. We have access to the very throne room of God. and a high priest in the throne room of God, Jesus himself. The one who gave himself a sacrifice and presents that sacrifice before the throne of God. And yet, he has to say, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. You think, Why would I need to be convinced? In the Psalms, Psalm 37 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And He'll give you the desires of your heart. That sounds good. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He is the desires of your heart. And He says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, you'll receive the thing that is delightful to you, the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. If I uh, look at Matthew chapter 13, 
Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man finds. And he hides it again, and then from joy over what he's found, he goes, sells everything he has to buy that field. So he's walking across somebody else's field one day, and he stumbles over a great, amazing treasure. He goes, oh. And he goes and sells whatever he needs to sell. Because whatever he already owns, that treasure in that field is worth more. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant singing fi seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, Jesus is telling us there's something good. Here he calls it the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is delivered in the person of Jesus Christ. He himself is the pearl of great price. Worth the sacrifice of all other things. It's a great treasure. It's a great good. But if I start talking to you about sacrifice... How do you feel about that? If I start talking to you about sacrifice, well, these guys, in, that, in those two little parables that Jesus told, they didn't even think. They couldn't, they couldn't sell everything and buy that fast enough because they saw the actual value of the prized thing. In our text in Romans chapter 12, we are coming to that. Do you see the actual value of the opportunity that has been presented to you in therefore by the mercies of God? Do you see it? The mercies of God, and Paul has spent the whole book of Romans discussing God's frankly, unbelievable mercies. He's talked about the revelation of the righteousness of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the unadulterated righteousness of God in the life of the Lord Jesus made available to us by the death and resurrection and ascension and intercession of the Lord Jesus. A justification which we receive by receiving it. <laughs> because it is by grace. It is a gift, Paul says repeatedly in the book of Romans. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. In chapter 5, he calls, says the gifts of God are irrevocable. If he gives it to you, you have it. Do 
than justification by faith alone in Christ alone, the actual crediting of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ to you. So that when God judges you, he judges you as if you had lived the way Jesus lived. Which, of course, you have not. And this is a reconciling work. Paul says in chapter 5, having been justified freely by God's grace, we have peace with God. We were God's enemies. Self-declared. But if we receive the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us by faith, just like it was to Abraham, then we are reconciled to God. And in that reconciliation, we are resurrected from death into life. That's what Jesus said. If you believe in me, you, pa you have passed from death to life. That's a resurrection. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2. He has raised us together with Christ and seated us together with Christ at the right hand of God. It's a resurrection. He says this in chapter 6 when, when he deals with the proposal that perhaps because grace abounds where sin abounds, we should just keep on sinning then. And Paul says, you died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ and so you have a new life. Live in the new life and don't act like a slave when you've been set free. Resurrection. We have justification. We have the imputation of righteousness. We have reconciliation with the living God who would justly punish us. We have resurrection to new life in Christ. We have salvation from the wrath of God. We have the actual indwelling of the very Spirit of God. We, well, that's how we became alive again, by the way. The Spirit indwells us. And so we have the power and direction of God accessible to us at all times in Christ. These are the mercies of God. This is nothing less than the restoration of our full humanity in Christ. Human beings made, to, uh, were made in the likeness of God to bear the image of God. The very God life has come to dwell in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is the design of humanity in the beginning. To be a reflection of God. To walk in fellowship with God and by that to exhibit the nature and character of God in the creation 
to each other. So Paul comes in chapter 12 to the word, therefore, on the basis of all that, by the mercies of God, I urge you, he says, brothers and sisters, I urge you. The word urge is an interesting word. We've dealt with it recently in the book of John because this is the verb form of the word comforter, counselor. The name Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit. It's based, it's, it's this related word, parakaleo. It means to come alongside or to call alongside. It's an embracing word. It's a word of fellowship and nearness, but it can be used to mean any kind of urging. <laughs> it's whenever anyone says to anyone, here's what you should do in any form, in any way, you could apply this word. It's a very broad word. It's, it's everything from a, from a comforting hug to a kick in the seat of the pants to get you moving. All, everything from one to the other, you could use this word. And I think that's interesting in our thinking about our relationship to the Holy Spirit because it, he, he can, it can take any, any level of force, if you will, except that it's not coercive. It's not do this or else. It's an urging to something beneficial. It's sometimes translated with the word encourage. In fact, this word appears in that passage we read in Hebrews, it's the very same word. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now you might think the word stir up was this word, but it's not, it's a different word. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, like some people do, but encouraging one another. That's the word, encouraging. And the closer you see the day of Christ, the more you should engage in this activity. And here's something you know for sure about the day of Christ. It's one day closer than it was yesterday. And tomorrow, if today is not the day, tomorrow it will be one day closer. It's always closer than it was. It's getting closer constantly. Because the day is a day that has already been chosen and designated by the living God. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you know, the more 
imminent the presence, the face-to-face presence of Christ becomes, the more encouraging you should be. It's the same word, encouraging, parakaleo. And Paul is urging us, brothers and sisters. Did you know that the most common word in the New Testament for a Christian is the word brother? Isn't that curious? Now, Paul uses the word saints a lot for Christians. Here's a word they almost never use in the New Testament for Christians. Christian. It is there, but it's pretty rare. Brothers and sisters is the word. Paul is calling us in recognition of our family relationship. Now, if you know about something good (laughs) that people need to get in on, who do you start with? Your brothers and sisters. Normally. But Paul is urging us, he's calling us, he's calling us. And what he's presenting to us is some kind of fantastic opportunity, not an imposing demand. Here's the thing. In Christ, all the imposing demands of God's word become positive opportunities. Every last one of them. And to me, this is one of the challenges of the Christian life is to somehow shift in my thinking from thinking of the commandments of Jesus Christ as some sort of imposing duty to thinking of them as some sort of fantastic opportunity. And this is one of them. And so what is this thing he urges us to do, to present your bodies a sacrifice. Now, in the English text of this verse, it's normally stated. I did find one translation that states it in the same order as the Greek. But in the English text, normally, and I looked at one Dutch text, and they do it this way too, Living comes before sacrifice. I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. But in the actual text, those two words are the other way around. It's funny because I think in Spanish, in Papimento, I know because I looked it up. It's in the same order as the Greek, because in those languages we put the adjective after the noun it describes. So, why am I talking about the order of words? Well, because in the original text that would have been read in the church when Paul wrote this, the church in Rome where Paul addressed this letter, the word sacrifice comes first. 
I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice alive. So we're not even going to talk about the alive part till next Sunday, but uh, to present your bodies a sacrifice. How does, does that sound like a positive opportunity? I urge you to present your bodies a sacrifice. Based on the mercies of God, I want you to make a sacrifice. Well, that would be one thing. That's already, you know, sounding like, oh, yeah, I knew the price tag was coming. I want you to make a sacrifice, but not just any old sacrifice. He's not talking about putting some money in an offering plate. A little sacrifice, an affordable sacrifice. No, your body. Now, when we get to this word present, we might be reminded of chapter 6, where Paul has already called upon Christians to present ourselves to God an instrument of righteousness. So he says, instead of presenting yourself to sin, present yourself to God. There also it's presented as a positive opportunity. Like, why would you want to do this if you could do this? Why would you want to give yourself to sin if you could give yourself to God? Don't be stupid. Sin so that grace may abound. Idiotic. And so it's the same word here, parastesi, present. To place something or someone at someone else's disposal. Now here in Romans 12, it's going a little bit further because here in Romans 12, you might have noticed the title, The Christian Religion. Now, that's a word I don't even like, religion. But here I'm going to tell you about the Christian religion. But the the thing about it is, the language of this text is religious. Because the word for sacrifice and the word for service of worship are the words that the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses for the sacrifices in the service of the temple. It's intentionally religious. Paul is intentionally alluding to the Old Testament sacrificial system, and he's saying now there's a new sacrificial system. And so you present what your bodies your bodies now sometimes when we read the bible and we come across words like body soul heart mind spirit we want to do this dividing thing we want to say well the body as distinguished from the soul or the spirit or the heart 
But that is not Paul's intention here. In fact, Paul's intention here is the exact opposite of that. And Paul is dealing with Roman Christians who had the strong influence of Greek philosophy in their thinking, in which things good, whole, righteous, uh, spiritual things were not material things. There was a sharp distinction between material things like your body and spiritual things like your mind. Ideas are spiritual, chairs, rocks, material things are not spiritual. And the Greek philosophical basis that Paul lived in and was addressing was an idea that the spiritual things, that the material things don't matter. And so when Paul is addressing the Roman Christians and he's talking about how should you respond in view of God's amazing, overwhelming mercies, he tells them that it involves their bodies. It's a little bit like saying this, give yourself over to God all the way out to your fingertips your body, not just your mind, not just your spirit, not some kind of ethereal, spiritual, nebulous thing, but the concrete thing that is you present, your body. You see, a body in the Christian worldview and a biblical understanding of the human being a human being, a whole human being is necessarily in a body. And the only way you and your body are separated is by dying, which is the enemy. Well, in Greek philosophy, they had this idea, like many of us Christians do now, that somehow dying is a deliverance from the travails of the body. But God's intention is to raise your body again in the end and reconstitute you a whole person with a physical material body. Because only then will you have your full humanity completely resurrected in Christ. And our God's intention in eternity is that we will live in a material universe with material bodies. And Paul is saying here, not just some weird idea, abstracted spiritual life you think that is you, but all of you. And so he says, your bodies. Present your bodies, your embodied self, the life Paul describes in Galatians 2, he says, the life which I now live in the flesh. You know, something about your body is it's the aspect of you that makes you available to anyone else. You're here, so I can see you. Well, how do I see you? Well, I see the light rays bouncing off of your body. That's how I see you. How do I know you're here? You speak. How do you speak? You shake the air with your voice. That's a material reality. 
How do we present ourselves to someone? It's in our bodies. How did Christ present the Son of God, present himself to us? It's this little thing called the incarnation. He was embodied a man. The proper Christian life is an embodied life, a life of presence before other people. It's not to be over-spiritualized in the sense that it might be entirely mystical or mental. Christianity does not seek escape from the material body. It looks forward to the resurrection of the material body. The final promise of God is that. Not some kind of spiritualized cloud sitting, although how do you sit if you're just a spirit? Heart playing spiritual thing. Ghost. God does not leave you a ghost. It's the consecration of the material body to God. That brings us to a sacrifice. Now we've noticed already that this sacrifice is not going to die, but we're going to talk about that next time. The sacrifice. The sacrifice, and the word he uses here is thusia. It's the word for an animal that is slain as a sacrifice to a god. So he's saying, present your body as a sacrifice, an offering to God. Now, the sacrifice of the Christian religion is a life given to God. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul uses the same sort of language uh, in Philippians 2.17. He says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Now Paul here, he's making the same kind of allusion to the Old Testament sacrificial system where a drink offering was something you poured on top of a burnt offering as a sort of extra thanks. And what is the offering, the sacrifice, the sacrificial service of the Philippians in this text? Your faith. Your faith. What Paul is calling us to when he says to present your bodies a living sacrifice is trust God entirely. That's it. Trust God entirely all the way down to your body. Trust God with the deliverance of your body. If we look forward to persecution where someone might inflict pain upon us for this name of Christ, Paul says, present your bodies a sacrifice to God in Christ. Trust God entirely with your body. 
Make you yourself your whole self. And it's not as though he's saying, you know, give him your body and keep your soul. That's ridiculous. He's saying, give him your whole person all the way out to your body. Give it all to him. Trust him entirely with it. That's your religion. That's what we do here on Sundays when we have a worship service. We gather together, we remember God's amazing mercy, and we remember once again to trust ourselves entirely to God. Now, of course, you don't have to come to church to do that, but you have to come to church and do that. How do I know that? How is it this not just an individual response? Here's how. Paul messes with the language in this text. He says, I urge you, you is a plural word, you, y'all, all of you, all y'all, if you're from Mississippi or North Carolina, all y'all. Brothers and sisters, plurals, to present your bodies, the body, this is literally what it says in Greek, the bodies of all y'all, a sacrifice, singular, not a big pile of sacrifices. Paul intends, I believe, for us to conclude, to see the fact that we come together in one body to present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice. Now, you should trust yourself entirely to God all by yourself if you're the only one there. But we are called, as we read in Hebrews, to come together. To come to God together. And one of the things that's happening in this text is the body of Christ. In fact, if you read on in the book of Romans... He immediately goes into the concept of the body of Christ right here in chapter 12. It's the very next subject in the book of Romans. There's no need for you to be isolated in your life in Christ. We do this together. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, the life which I now live by faith, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the consequence of this sacrifice. Of I say to the Lord, and because of your great mercy, the only thing I can do is trust you entirely. Make myself available to you entirely. 
We want to negotiate over the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to sort out my life into things that are subject to His Lordship and things that are not. And that is supremely foolish. Supremely. Because whatever I reserve to my own lordship, I am an idiot about those things. Because I am not capable of lording those things like he is. If I have the opportunity to present myself to God, to trust God in Christ by the Spirit with anything, I am a fool if I don't take advantage of that opportunity. Here's the thing I'm hoping to convince you of this morning that this sacrifice is the most positive opportunity that has ever been presented to you. It is not an imposing demand. It is a liberating security. If I belong to God and God is the shepherd of my soul, my soul is perfectly well shepherded. If I reserve myself to myself, I'm the biggest idiot that ever walked the earth. It's as simple as this. Do you trust God? who gave His Son a sacrifice for your sin, who freely has given you all of these great mercies that we discussed already, is He trustworthy? This is the most positive opportunity that has ever been presented to you, the idea that you might belong to Him. And it's a pretty unreligious religion. It's personal. Now, there's some religious act involved, this conscious, I am His. Okay, what? I'm His. But it's, this sacrifice is resting in His provision. It's a liberating security. It's resting in His protection. And if my life is resolved as it is in Christ, I have great liberty. I, have, I don't need your approval. I have His. It's restored wholeness. You are not made to be self-governing. You are not made to be uh, self-lording. And all your attempts to do so are failures to begin with. But if you are in the hand of God by faith in Christ alone, the Spirit of God is alive in you, the Spirit of God empowers you. The Spirit of God directs you. 
It's the best opportunity you've ever heard of. The absolute best. And as Paul says in this text, it is your reasonable service of worship. Now, you might have a translation that says uses the word spiritual, and that's because Paul's dealing with the same Greek problem of separating reasonable. It, well, in that idea, reasonable things are spiritual things. And he's saying you present your body, that's a spiritual service. And by the way, it is the only sensible thing to do. The only sensible thing to do. If you don't, well, you're missing it. You're missing the greatest opportunity that there is. So I invite you this morning, whatever you've been doing there lately, even this morning, running your own life, doing whatever, being your own God, I invite you to set that aside and come this morning and present your body a living sacrifice and we present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Holy God in Christ by the Spirit. Father, we thank you for this, this exhortation from the Apostle, from you, from the Spirit. Lord, we come before you now. We recognize that in Christ we have it all. We trust all we are to all that He is. We thank You that You have imputed to us His very righteousness. And Lord, we pray that we might uh, realize that righteousness as we submit ourselves to You in this life. We thank You, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.